listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to Friday and the beginning of the apocalypse. It appears that it is all coming to an end already. We're, what are we, are three days into the new year, and what do we got on us? We've got, well, let's just add it up here, shall we? We have teenagers converging on the Eaton Center because of some little understood social media platform that is scaring the bejabbers out of all of us adults. We have the escalating crisis between Iran and the United States, which we are really going to dig into. And then I think this perhaps is the third and final sign of the coming apocalypse, and that is a new song by Justin Bieber. Get to the chorus, Biebs. Yummy. It just dropped. You know what's going to be yummy? Monday, when those edibles are for sale at the Ontario Cannabis Store, because with what's going on in the rest of the world, folks, you are going to need to hit that vape hard. My goodness. We're going to really dig into what's happening in the Iran-United States situation with what happened in Iraq and what it means. This is an extremely concerning story. And we're really going to look into what's happened here and what the potential outcome might be. I want to begin with the sound of singing as Iranians have taken to the streets now to mourn the killing of top Iranian General Qasem Soleimani by U.S. forces. Now here is the latest on the escalating crisis from Iran, and this is via the Associated Press. Iran's Supreme National Security Council now says it has reached a decision on how it will respond to the U.S. killing of Revolutionary Guard General Qasem Soleimani. But at this point, it is not saying what that decision is. The council's brief statement after a special session Friday says it investigated, quote, the different aspects of this incident. And it is announcing that the United States of America is responsible for all consequences of this criminal adventure. Iran's Supreme National Security Council formulates the country's military and nuclear program strategy. However, any matter of state is decided by the Supreme Leader Ayatollah al-Khamenei. So it doesn't particularly matter what the council says, but what it has indicated is that it is prepared to react. Here is the sound of worshippers chanting with raised fists during Friday prayers in Tehran. And as the world counsels restraint for both Iran and for the United States, here is more on the reaction from the Iranian leadership to the attack from reporter Mark Gracia. Iran's president, Hassan Rouhani, is calling the killing of a Revolutionary Guard commander by the U.S. a heinous crime. In a tweet, Rouhani said, The great nation of Iran will take revenge for the U.S. airstrike that killed General Qasem Soleimani, the head of Iran's elite Quds force, near Baghdad's airport. Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, has declared three days of public mourning for the general's death. In Israel, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's office says Netanyahu is cutting short a visit to Greece and returning home to follow ongoing developments. I'm Mike Gracia. Let's take you back to Tehran in an Iranian man speaking in a public square in Tehran. 
امريكا وايران يحلون مشاكلهم خارج العراق We do not want them to solve it inside Iraq because this will not serve our cause. We and Tahrir Square do not celebrate the killing of Soleimani or anyone else because this will not serve us at the end of the day. Let us back up for a moment and talk about precisely what happened. The strike occurred in the early hours of Friday as Soleimani was being driven away from the Baghdad International Airport. The strike was carried out by an American MQ-9 Reaper drone, a weapon made by California-based General Atomics and has been in use by the U.S. military since 2017. Video and photos of the scene show a decimated, burning vehicle on the side of the road leading to the airport with smoke billowing from the wreckage. Abu Mahdi al-Mandandis the deputy commander of the Iran-backed militias in Iraq, also known as the Popular Mobilization Forces, or PMF, was traveling with Soleimani at the time. He was also killed in the attack. Soleimani's body was torn to pieces. According to officials from the PMF, as reported by the Associated Press, his body was reportedly only identified by the ring that he often wore. Let's take a moment to talk about who Major General Soleimani was. For Iranians, whose icons since the Islamic Revolution have been stern-faced clergy, the general widely represented a figure of national resilience in the face of four decades of United States pressure. You can read more about this in a fascinating article on globalnews.ca. And for the U.S. and Israel, Soleimani was a shadowy figure in command of Iran's proxy forces, responsible for fighters in Syria backing President Bashar Assad and for the deaths of American troops in Iraq. Soleimani survived the horror of Iran's long war in the 1980s with Iraq to take control of the Revolutionary Guard's elite Quds force responsible for the Islamic Republic's campaigns abroad. And according to the Pentagon, Soleimani and his troops were, quote, responsible for the deaths of hundreds of American and coalition service members and the wounding of thousands more. should keep in mind that Canadian forces are among those on the ground in Iraq. There are Canadians in harm's way. Here is the U.S. Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, saying that this attack was ordered by President Trump as a preventative measure. President Trump made the decision uh, a serious decision, which uh, was necessary. There was an imminent attack. Uh, the orchestrator, the primary motivator for the attack was Qasem Soleimani. And here again is Secretary of State Mike Pompeo with the central U.S. argument here. And remember what has happened. The United States has violated the sovereign territory of Iraq to carry out an extrajudicial killing. And whether or not Mr. Soleimani was an evil person and warranted death, that is perhaps beside the point at this point. Because what we're talking about is a violation of international rules and treaties and a distinct escalation of the crisis between Iran and the United States. Here again is Mike Pompeo with the central U.S. argument. 
what was sitting before us was uh, his travels throughout the region and his efforts to make a significant strike against Americans. There would have been many Muslims killed as well, Iraqis, people in other countries as well. Now, expect more from Donald Trump throughout the day. He is expected to speak, but he has been on Twitter already. Here are some excerpts from his Twitter feed this morning. Quote, Soleimani was both hated and feared within the country. They are not nearly as saddened as the leaders will let the outside world believe. He should have been taken out many years ago. Trump, they're speaking about Iranians, claiming that Iranians are not as saddened as the leadership of that country would have you believe. And here, Trump talks about Iraq. Quote, The United States has paid Iraq billions of dollars a year for many years. This is on top of all else we have done for them. The people of Iraq don't want to be dominated and controlled by Iran, but ultimately that is their choice. Over the last 15 years, Iran has gained more and more control over Iraq, and the people of Iraq are not happy with that. It will never end well! Exclamation mark. That from President Donald Trump's Twitter this morning. Here is reporter Eva Pilgrim with more on the reaction from Trump's United States political opponents. Former Vice President Joe Biden releasing a statement saying, President Trump just tossed a stick of dynamite into a tinderbox and he owes the American people an explanation. We could be on the brink of a major conflict across the Middle East. Bernie Sanders saying, Trump's dangerous escalation brings us closer to another disastrous war in the Middle East that could cost countless lives and trillions more dollars. That is reporter Eva Pilgrim reporting on the United States' reaction, or at least the political opponents in the United States. So what about the U.S. allies in the world? Well, on this particular incident, there aren't many, with the exception of the vocal support of Israel. Here's Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Twitter. Israel stands with the United States in its just struggle for peace, security, and self-defense. That is Benjamin Netanyahu in a video posted to Twitter. And so interesting in our world today is that we're reading tweets from the President of the United States. We're airing bits of video and audio that have come from world leaders posted to Twitter. Even Iran, the reaction from Iran and the leadership there to Twitter. I tell you what, the tweens aren't hearing anything about it. The tweens are not upset because they're just on TikTok. And you know who else is on TikTok as of today who's just joined TikTok? Justin Bieber. The Biebs dropping a new tune. We're going to talk about that later on in the show. It's the World War III special on the Alan Carter Radio Program. Welcome back. I'm wondering how worried you are about this whole escalation situation in the Middle East with the bombing outside the Baghdad airport of a senior general, senior revolutionary general in the Iranian forces and now threats of retaliation from Iran. Is that weighing on you at all? Is that maybe putting a bit of a black cloud on this last weekend of what is a long break for a lot of people? The kids off for two weeks. A lot of people still off this week. I know this because I tried to get a lot of experts to talk about Iran and U.S. relations, and they're all like, I'm at the cottage. People are away. Is it worrying you? Well, I'll tell you what. Monday, come Monday, you don't have to worry so much because you can just take an edible. That's the thing, you see? 
This is the news that's coming out today from the Ontario Cannabis Store. This is from their website. While cannabis 2.0 categories like edibles, extracts, and topicals have been legalized in Canada since October 17th, you may recall that, many Ontarians have noticed that the products have yet to hit legal retail shelves. You know what? We have noticed. Back to the... OCS website. This is due to a regulatory timeline and approval process that was put in place by Health Canada to ensure new cannabis products are safe. In order to legally ship and sell products, licensed producers must first apply for an amended license, submit products for a 60-day review. How do I get a job as a reviewer? Uh, And finally, pass quality assurance standards. When products meet the criteria, they may be introduced to the market. When will cannabis 2.0 products be available? Well, according to the OCS, the earliest possible date is the week of January 6th. Products will first appear in retail stores and then on OCS.ca as early as January 16th. As different producers are at various stages of licensing the process, or the, rather the licensing process that I just outlined, products will see a staggered release. You'll know that because you're super high. I'm staggering a little bit. Staggered release for the first few months of the year. Here is Kevin Lamb, who is a senior director of merchandise at the Ontario Cannabis Store with all the ways you're going to be able to get high. The initial deliveries will include a large number of vapes, some edibles, and a brand of tea. The OCS continues to support the broadest and deepest catalog assortment across the country. A brand of tea. Why is it a brand of tea? Well, what brand? Well, it's like a, it's a high brand. You know, you got your sleepy time tea. You got your wicked high tea. High noon tea. Tea for high noon. You see how that all goes mm-hmm. together. All right. I'm going to leave that behind and get back to worrying about the end of the world. Shall we? Shall we get back to what's going on between Iran and the United States? Because I don't know about you, but... I was reminded of something when I read this last night as it happened. And and here's what I was reminded of, 1914. All right, yes, I know I'm a total history nerd and a wonk and a geek. I get it. But I spent a lot of time reading about 1914 and what happened that summer. And what you had is an assassination of an heir to a throne in Sarajevo. Nobody expected that it would snowball and escalate into what it did, which is namely World War I. World leaders were on vacation, kind of like they are right now. Everybody had their eye on something else. Now, I'm not equating 1914 to 2020 exactly. We don't have the same sort of situation. It is likely that the escalation will be somewhat contained, perhaps to Iraq, to uh, also to those areas where Iran has proxy forces, Syria, Lebanon. But it is possible that it could entangle other countries. It could spread. We're going to get into that a little bit more. But as we've been talking about the death of Major General Soleimani, we have talked a lot about who he was, why he was targeted by the United States, and the reaction from inside Iran. I want to read to you, this is from The Atlantic, this is from Kim Gattis, who is an author of a forthcoming book called Black Wave, Saudi Arabia, Iran, and the 40-Year Rivalry. 
Soleimani, this is quoting now from The Atlantic, Soleimani was killed at about 1 a.m. local time, just as he was leaving the Baghdad airport. By 4.30 a.m., a group of Iraqis were marching, running even, through the country's capital, carrying a large Iraqi flag, celebrating his death. In one video, a man's voice can be heard laughing at the killing, saying the deaths of Iraqi protesters had been avenged. Soleimani was a respected and feared person, seen as either the evil mastermind behind the policies of death and destruction or the genius architect of Iran's expansionist expansionist policies. He was also hated not only by Sunnis who suffered at the hands of his proxy militias in Syria and Iraq, but also by fellow Shias, including in Iraq and Iran, where he helped uphold a repressive system and was seen as the man responsible for Iran's role in costly wars abroad. He was not simply on a mission to undo the unsatisfying score on the Iran-Iraq war and make up for the conflict's devastating death toll and the humiliation it served his country. He had become the mission, the upholder of the Islamic Revolution, keeping it alive for Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei. Here is Christian Luprecht, who is professor at the Royal Military College of Canada in Queen's University, on this radio station earlier this morning, talking about the death toll left behind in Soleimani's wake. There are hundreds of U.S. servicemen and civilians who have died as a result of actions taken by uh, General Soleimani um, and uh, the Iranian Revolutionary Guards or the various proxy fighters and militias throughout the region. So uh, he's been on uh, American radar for many years. So he has been on American radar for many years, but you will ask yourself a question in 2020, a re-election year for President Donald Trump, why it is that this was carried out now. These individuals, obviously, they they try to fly under the radar, and when they are exposed in public, they deliberately expose themselves with large civilian crowds, which then makes it virtually impossible to try to neutralize them because you would be putting other people at risk. So I think the opportunity of his plane landing and being able to target vehicles with positive identification in a place where there was uh, very little or no risk of collateral damage um, under the circumstances Here's, I think, what uh, the Trump administration capitalized on. That is Christian Luprecht, professor at the Royal Military College of Canada, talking about the timing of the attack early this morning outside the Baghdad airport. You will also know, of course, that Americans don't much like to overthrow or replace presidents in wartime. George W. Bush knew this and in the wake of the 9-11 attacks, launched an attack on Iraq and on Saddam Hussein, and in some ways that helped him win re-election. You'll say, well, wait a minute, Alan, hold on, hold on, what about Johnson in the Vietnam War? What about that? Well, that was a different kind of time. I don't think you can equate it to quite the same. And Johnson was looking at a challenge from his very own party, from Robert Kennedy and knew that if things had continued, if Robert Kennedy had lived, he likely would have won the nomination and replaced a sitting president who was so unpopular with his own base. In this particular case, 
with Donald Trump. Obviously, Donald Trump has a solid and unwavering base that will react favorably to this news. But what is to come? You heard at the beginning of our program the development that in Iran, they say they have now decided on their course of action. They are not announcing what that is, but they will act and they will retaliate. Here's a little something to scare the bejeepers out of you. Here's back to Christian Luprecht. It'll be interesting to what extent they'll activate them. I mean, the Quds Brigades have sleeper cells parked certainly throughout the regions, and we're about to see whether they actually have them throughout the world and to what extent they're prepared to activate those. Um, Iran could essentially close the Strait of Hormuz, which would do very interesting things to the oil price, or they can do lower-level efforts, such as sort of some of the cyber attacks. Already oil prices are on the way up because of this, and there's going to let you... Just chew on that for a moment. Sleeper cells. Sleeper cells. How many do they have? Where are they? How can they activate them? It's enough to make you want to reach for an edible. Oh, Ontario Cannabis Store? This morning, we started to sell the products that you will see today to our authorized retail store partner. Oh, deliveries God. will begin on Monday, and oh, they will get yeah. deliveries through the week. And we expect that they will bring products, put products on their shelves as quickly as possible thereafter. Products will also be available oh, on OCS.ca I'm towards the middle so of the month. I'm so scared. I need... Oh. Edibles, finally. Edibles and Bieber. <laughs> All the signs of the apocalypse all lining up today. Straight ahead on the program, we're going to look ahead to some of the movies coming down the pipe in 2020. If you're a movie fan, what can you expect to see later on this year? Plus, we are going to talk about Gene Simmons and his weird ritual with his cereal. Gene Simmons, the frontman of KISS, does something with his cereal that has caused kind of, well, not outrage, but a lot of raised eyebrows and people saying, well, what, what, what are you doing with your cereal, man? I mean, let's just get back to spitting blood. But I want to talk about what happened at the Eaton Center yesterday. And here is the headline on BlogTO. And I'm going to take issue with the headline in just a second. TikTok stars spark teen riot at Toronto Eaton Center. That is the headline. TikTok stars spark teen riot at Toronto Eaton Center. All right, so let's unpack that. First of all, what's TikTok? TikTok is a social media platform. It is, it's kind of like Instagram, you know, but it's video-based, and you just sort of see, you know, videos can be about a minute in length. They're um, often with music and sometimes emojis and all those, you know, extra Snapchat filter-type things that you're, you know, you're used to seeing. And, and this is largely where teens and preteens are these days. This is where they are. They are, I'll tell you what, where they're not, Karen. They're not on Facebook with you, Karen. Karen being a slang for a woman in her 40s or 50s. Huh. Teenagers are odd. They are weird, but they have their own way of communicating, and it has been this way since time immemorial. Perhaps, I know you're out there tisk tisking, but perhaps think back to when you were a teenager and you had that crazy rock and roll or whatever it was your thing. Okay, boom. Exactly, that everybody, your parents were all upset about. So anyway, that's what TikTok is. 
And, you know, if you have a preteen in your life or a teen, I have a teenager in my life. This is the only reason I know this. I'm not trying to pass myself off as terribly educated in all of this. I just happen to know it because I have a 14-year-old. All right? I got a 14-year-old and also now I have my own TikTok account. It's true. I do. At Anchorman. I have precisely one post. It's me and my disabled cat. Uh, It has three views last I checked. But that that is another point because... Uh, I only have three views and like four followers, but there are teenagers with millions of followers and there are kids right in the city who have hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of followers. And that's what happened yesterday is a number of these TikTokers, it it got out that a couple of them were going to be at the Eaton Center, like four or five of them were going to be at the Eaton Center walking around. One of them uh, goes by at Sammy. There's another one from East York, actually goes to a high school right near me, who's got a 1.2 million followers, 17-year-old young woman, you know, posts a lot of, you know, dance craze and you know, stuff. You know, it, it's it's pretty inane, the stuff you see there, but, but you know, it's entertainment and it speaks to, you know, that generation. So it gets out there on the old social media tubes, on the old TikTok, that uh, they're going to be at the Eaton Center. And next thing you know, hundreds upon hundreds converge on the Eaton Center for a surprise meet and greet. And security is like, well, what in the world is going on? Where'd all these teenagers come from? Loitering teenagers in the mall? Who would have ever thought? Well, security didn't like it. Didn't care for it one bit. They got in there, and they got a couple of them TikTokers, and they said, you got to come with us. And then they escorted them out of the Eaton Center. And one of the TikTokers, this aforementioned at Sammy, actually tweeted, or I don't, you guys, TikTok. You don't say, I got the wrong verb here. See, okay, boomer. Uh, so actually TikTok, I don't know what the verb is, but posted uh, the video of him and his compatriots being escorted from the Eaton Center. Let's get back to that headline, shall we? On Blog TO, the one I just read at the top of this. Spark Teen Riot. Alright, I think we might be going a little far here. Yeah, hundreds of teenagers all getting together. Yeah, that's super intimidating if you're over the age of 40. Is it? But it's not a riot. Nothing was destroyed. Nothing there was not I mean I have been legit one hundred percent in a riot. This was not one of them. There was no tear gas. No chairs were thrown. It wasn't even a WWE match. This is everybody calm down for just a moment with the teens and the TikToking. So what? Settle down. Do you feel I'm being judgy? Am I being judgy? I might be. So therefore, let's bring in two people who are far more judgy than me, my judgy vegan friends here, Jackie, who's producing as Sheba is away, and Rob, who is technical director. We talked about this yesterday. I have an update on the whole ethical veganism. An employment tribunal in the UK has now ruled that ethical veganism is actually a philosophical belief that is protected by law against discrimination. Ethical vegans, like dietary vegans, eat a plant-based diet, but ethical vegans are extra judgy because they try to avoid contact with products derived from any form of animal exploitation that includes not wearing clothing made of wool or leather and not using products 
tested on animals. My vegan friends, do you believe ethical veganism is a philosophical belief? Go, Rob. Didn't I say that yesterday? You and did, then, but nobody, yeah. not everybody was listening. Some people were still... So I said, yeah, it's philosophical. You said it was a choice, that. but yeah, it's a philosophy. I it's think, a- I think. It, I mean, it, it is pretty much the definition of a philosophy. I, I mean, it, it, like, whatever, whatever but the why definition of philosophy it, it, is. Protected by law? You Maybe should not be protected, protected by, by law. law. But are all I don't philosophies think any, protected by law? Yeah, I don't think there's any other. But it, it's, hmm, yeah, that's that. See, that's the debate. Not whether or not it's actually a philosophy, but more just uh, should philosophy be uh, covered by law. If you believe in a division of church and state, should you not also believe that this should be divided and that this should, oh, it shouldn't be protected by law? Good point. Snap. Huh? You got me. Yeah. I believe that. Someone thought about it. I like it. I agree. No, you're right. There's always a way you could spin it to get us to agree. I'm not just a Karen. Welcome back, and thank you so much for spending some of your time with us this hour. Lots to chew over, and of course, on Monday, when those edibles become available at the OCS, you can just chew on those. That'll be good. That's fun. Thank you. Chris Jenselowitz is a national online supervising editor, and Laura Hensley is Global News national online journalist. Thank you so much for being with me this Friday as we talk about movies and culture and all the rest. Hi. Hello. Hi. All right. Let's talk Let's talk movies, Chris. This is your Ballywick, and some of the movies that you're expecting or at least uh, interested in seeing in 2020. What do you, what do you have on your radar coming in down the pipe? What we're going to see in 2020 is pretty much the same themes we've been seeing over the last multiple years at the cinema. So what have you seen? Superheroes. What have you seen? Sequels. You know, the same thing. Reboots, remakes, trying to capture that nostalgia that happened, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And what's even weirder is a lot of these movies are bringing in the same actors that were in the original movies. So, and under that, you have your Bill and Ted coming back. You've got Keanu in there with long hair. You've got Top Gun. That's right. You've got Tom Cruise looking weirdly ageless. Sort of puffy. Sort of puffy. (laughs) Uh, Does Scorsese get some of the uh, de-aging stuff on him? Like on the Irishman? I don't know. Uh, Coming to America. Yeah, and there you got uh, Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall. They'll be back too, which uh, I'm personally looking forward to that because that movie is really funny. So if they can capture that comedy, maybe, maybe it'll be good. I'm I'm laying money that one of the, one of the two of them is going to be in a fat suit in that movie. Because mm, no, mm, might no. not happen anymore. We'll see. No, are we past the fat suit comedy? Uh, is that gone now? I have we decided? With, I think it might have ended the shallow how. <laughs> I think we're past it. Yeah. We, we can't, oh, that's so suddenly. That's not funny anymore. Yeah. All right. Uh, the new Bond. What do you know about that? Yeah. All I know is the trailer looked amazing. Yeah. So I have high hopes in Daniel Craig. Uh, I'm hoping he can return once more and give us one last hurrah. Uh, and hopefully he just gets tied to a chair naked and gets whipped with a with, with, with a big rope because that and still is the highlight of the all the Daniel Craig movies for me. <laughs> Thanks for bringing back it. that trauma. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna need I an edible after that. that. Uh, here's here's my thing as I look down this list and Laura, I want to bring you in on this. Okay. Is it more and more and perhaps it's just because I'm aging out? 
but more and more, it's I find it difficult to be motivated to actually go to the theater and see something. In this list, I don't know if there's any on there that says to me, yeah, i got to plunk down the big catch to see that on the big screen. I'm with you. It's really hard for me to go see something at the cinema. Like, I really want to see Little Women. I'm going to go see that this weekend, and I really want to see Knives Out and Bombshell, but they have to be films that I'm actually going to want to enjoy and pay money to see. The ones that Chris had mentioned, none of them jump out to me, and I don't think... Maybe I'm just not the right target demographic, but I really do not feel extra motivated to go see them. See, and then that becomes the question, too, is like, who is the target audience for these? Is it someone that was, you know, engaged in pop culture 20, 30 years ago? Is that the audience? And maybe that's why it's not working at the theater. Maybe it's just not enough, you know, for the, for that audience. And then younger people don't even have a clue really who these people are. Right. Like, why are they signed, lining up to see Top Gun and, you know, see Maverick and all the rest? I, I, what I find interesting from what you said, Laura, is that the movies that you mentioned, I'm really interested in seeing those as too, those too. But those strike me as perfectly acceptable in my own living room and on my television. I don't feel like I need to see that thing in a giant screen. Unlike the way I, I really want to go and see 1917, for example, because I feel like, well, that's going to be a, something that's really going to have some impact on the big screen. Uh, yeah, and I totally get your point. And I think that a lot of people, you know, younger or older do have the convenience of watching things at home, which is another factor as to why we're not going to the movies. But for me, going to see a film like Bombshell, I'm excited to do that because it's something to do. It's an experience going to the movie, getting overpriced popcorn, you know, fighting with people to get good seats. It's a whole experience. So if there's something I really want to see, I will make that effort to go out. And then so this weekend, of course, is the Golden Globes, right? Yeah. And you see the nominees and they're all things you can watch at home on your couch right so that's an interesting thing too right it's all transitioning into i don't know what a more lazy society i'm not sure (laughs) (laughs) i I will just relay uh, a a story from my wife when we went to see a star wars movie not this most recent one i've seen this one but the the most the previous one and my kids asked her at the end they said uh what'd you think and she said it was a good movie experience And I think that speaks to what you're talking about, Laura, about, you know, the experience of going to the theater. You know, it's fun. The movie itself, not necessarily. So I think somehow we have to be able to, if cinema is to survive in the way that we used to know it, it's going to have to bring those two things together, the good storytelling and the experience. For sure. Exactly. All right. Well, let's talk about pop culture and let's cue it up. Let's hit it because this is for, uh, this is for all you believers out there. Told you earlier in the program that Justin Bieber has now joined TikTok as well. I'm surprised by that. I was I would have shocked. See, this is the thing: is Bieber has aged out of TikTok. He's too old for TikTok. Oh my God, what is happening? I know this is this is the world that we're living in. Suddenly, you're going to turn on Q107 and they're going to be rocking a little Biebs. Oh, here's an oldie but a goodie, a little classic pop. But what, you think that this is going to be the year of Justin Bieber, Laura? Oh yeah, 2020 is the year of the Biebs. You know. He's cut. He's having a major comeback. He has his new YouTube series. He has a new album coming out. His new single, Yummy, was released today. He's going on an international tour. He's making a serious return. And I think Bieber fans are really excited for it. Now, are those the same fans? This is what's interesting to me because, you know, sometimes, you know, he was such a, you know, a teen idol. And then those teen idols, you know, those audiences tend to throw those artists away and they don't necessarily grow with them. But in this case, it seems like he's been able to hold on to that audience. Well, I'm older than Justin Bieber and I've been a fan since the beginning. And I think for me, one of the, the you know, the 
turning point when I started to see him as a real artist and not this little teeny bopper was with the Purpose Tour. I think that really put him on the stage. You know, he had a lot of hardships growing up in the limelight, but if you listen to some of his stuff that was released around 2015 to 2017, you know, he really had some major bops. And I think that this new album is going to resonate with the same audience who really started to like him during that time as well. Okay, let's do this. Chris, you on the way in on the Biebs? Are you yeah, a believer? Uh, well, Okay, I'm not going to say I'm a believer, but I do respect Bieber's musical ability. He can sing, he can dance 100%. He's got a massive fan base. And so I just want to say the general consensus online today was pretty favorable. Mm -hmm. So what Laura's saying is true in terms of the fandom. They they will never give up on Biebs. So he's got the 21st century triple threat. He can sing, he can dance, and he's got wicked abs. So that's your triple threat. He does have enviable abs, yes. In the 21st century. <laughs> Let's move to Gene Simmons. I'm not certain about Mr. Simmons' abs, but the uh, bassist with Kiss making news for what he put on his cereal. Oh. Laura. So Gene Simmons posted on Twitter a photograph of him putting ice cubes into his cereal. And everyone was very confused by this. Like, why are you adding ice to the milk in your cereal? People were like, Gene has lost the plot. Other people were saying this is a great idea. It keeps your milk cold. His son tweeted and was like, I've been dealing with this for 30 years. So it really sparked this hilarious conversation about weird food habits. I wasn't. I didn't realize that there was milk in there. I thought it was just straight up ice cubes. But he actually had milk, and then he added ice to the milk. Or just yeah, I yeah. think so. From what I, I saw, yeah. it was yeah, the ice to the milk, milk. ice cream or ice cube combo. because you want you want it to be chilly. I've heard of it in soup because it's hot, right? But cereal's already cold, so I don't I don't get it. He might eat very slowly, so his milk warms. And he needs ice. Maybe the flakes he have are are so soggy that he needs the crunch of the ice. You see, yes, this is, could I be. See, so this is a lifelong thing. He's done this his whole life. Apparently, his son tweeted he's been doing this since he was born. Oh. So it's just a weird habit. But people are now posting photos of themselves eating cereal with weird things. One woman tweeted <laughs> mushrooms in her cereal, which was just next level bizarre. Oh. Wow, it is the end of the world. I'm scared. <laughs> Laura, Chris, thank you so much for joining me on this very frightening Friday in international relations and not to mention Bieber. All right. And and keep in mind, as I have been mentioning all hour long, edibles on Monday. Edibles! <laughs> Woo!